this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 80th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's podcast, I talk with uh, Georgina Paul about her new podcast show, Leading Safely, and Georgina's own journey of doing safety differently. Georgina was recently recognized as the 2022 Mentor of the Year by Women in Safety. In true Georgina style, her acceptance speech on LinkedIn was the following. I won the 2022 Women in Safety Mentor of the Year Award. Pretty sure this is the first thing I've ever won in my entire life other than a freeze cheeseburger from Macca's Monopoly. Feels amazing to be recognized amongst so many brilliant women in the health and safety sphere. I can still remember how daunting it was when I first started in health and safety almost 20 years ago. I was a female, under 25, stepping onto a coal mine in central Queensland with over 1,200 employees, and the percentage of women on site would have been sat at less than 5%. Mentoring back then ran by the suck it up methodology. I never wanted anyone to feel the way I did. We all need to help to ensure good people stay in the industry. What a great acceptance from Georgina. It reminds me that coaching and mentoring is a key component to the embedding and sustainability of practice for HOP and learning teams. If Georgina is an example of this, then we're in good hands. Please sit back and enjoy this extended episode of the pod with Georgina Paul and her story about the Leading Safely podcast show. Well, welcome today. We have a special guest. We have uh, Georgina Paul, and she is the host of the new podcast show, Leading Safely. And welcome to the show, Georgina, because I love to get people that are trying to do something different. And it'd be great to hear from, from you today about one of the things that you're trying to achieve with your new podcast show. Super. So uh, obviously being in health and safety for quite some time, I found that when I attended a number of events, um, presenters that were presenting to management level and those boots on the ground type roles were often speaking in speak, which wasn't necessarily identifiable. Um, with the boots on the ground type roles out on multiple sites. Um, so I wanted to create a podcast that was, um, you know, aimed at all levels of an organisation, but really could hit home with those people that are working on sites or in manufacturing industries or in a workshop, et cetera, that was in layman's terms, that they could grab something from, go back into the workplace and implement without needing a dictionary or a theosaurus to work out what was spoken about. So I created the podcast around some, you know, real tips um, on how to effectively lead um, safely, obviously. Um, and whilst it's called leading safely for me, everyone is a leader and has that ability to impact, you know, change um, in the safety space in a positive way. So that's why I created it and, and why it's, it's laid out the way it, it is. Yeah, and, and it's, I think it's marvellous because, um, you know, we, we talk about giving workers a voice, but we also mm-hmm. need to be able to provide them that context and that narrative. Sure. That, that assist yep. them in that journey because it's all a journey that's it that's it yeah and, and it's and it's really interesting because you know when we think about safety in particular we use so much jargon and so much acronyms 
Yep, we do. And, and we wonder <laughs> why people. Yeah, we wonder why people just sit there and going, "What the?" Yeah, and I, I think that ability to overcomplicate things as well, like it's it's very much the space around decluttering. Like, yeah, I remember going to site, you know, mine sites, for example, in Central Queensland, and literally having to read through six hundred to eight hundred procedures, and and for some reason, those sites thought that by me doing that, I would become a safer worker. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that's a topic for a, you know, a whole other day, but it's still, we need to declutter and kind of get to the essence of the message and making sure that that message is identifiable for people at a variety of levels and not just at the seat, you know, suite of people at the top of the, the chain or not just at that employee level with the people pushing the brooms around in the workshop. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, everyone sees risk differently. Yes, it's been that's to be for sure. Communicate risk differently. That's right. And we need That's to communicate right. we need to communicate risk um in a way that our audience can actually understand and follow. And uh, I, I'm shocked every time. I mean, we all have a good SOP. <laughs> I mean, I was one recently and and they said, you know, oh, we decided we're using a bigger font with a with a better colour because people will get it more. <laughs> and I thought, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, no. That's okay. I mean, we're all getting old and blind. I accept that. Okay, the, the yeah. course is aged, that's fine. But I've got no idea um, what that font's going to do. Yeah, because it's not the content of the document or the ease of, you know, being able to, the re- it's readability that counts. It's clearly what yeah. colour did you use? Was it magenta or turquoise? Because that matters. I know. But like, I mean, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I my first qualification was as a systems analyst. And we grew up, um, you know, developing flowcharts because you map systems oh, yeah. using flowcharts. Mm-hmm. And I love a good flowchart. I mean, you know, but the <laughs> thing is, um, and engineers love flowcharts. Mm-hmm. They do. But only 18% of the adult population can follow a flowchart. Yeah. So, and they do get complicated sometimes. So. Oh, look, I, I, as I said, I love, I love a good flowchart. But, you know... If the audience <laughs> struggle with them, why do we keep persisting? Yeah, that's So it's look not at, something I would have done in public, though. So thanks, Brent, for sharing that. that oh, you like hey, I, I'm <laughs> renowned for getting myself and my colleagues in trouble at any time. Uh, Glynis would say that I'm always throwing her under the bus. I, I ask oh. the question: Is that bus parked or is it moving? Because <laughs> the risk is quite different. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, right. so we like to have a robust conversation on our show. And That's um, right. <laughs> I listened to your first episode. And mm-hmm. I've also listened to your later episode with Tony McConaughey. So there we go. So as, mm-hmm. a, That's as, a, as a host, <laughs> I have actually listened to your show. Oh, uh, that's great. So this, so I, I, I can see the themes you're coming through. And, and I think a lot, you know, what you're trying to do is really, really good. And, and I think like everything else, um, this is about building community. That's right. And and it doesn't matter uh, what message we give or how we give the message. It's about building community mm-hmm. in, in that way. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Everyone's yep. got to put their own spin on something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think we just, we briefly talked off here before about um, like the new view. How many different names does it have so far? Yeah. And it keeps changing every year. A new course or something will come out. And sometimes... As a safety professional, it's really hard to keep up to date with. And if you don't, you sometimes feel like you're not on the right bus. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, did I get on you know, at the right place? Because the name has changed and I seem to have missed the most recent, you know, update. So Absolutely. And and for our listeners in North America, um uh new view is not something that is actually commonly known. No. They, they use the words like, you know, human operational performance, you know, high mm-hmm. performing teams, that sort of stuff. So, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact yeah. that, that um, you know, us uh, Kiwis and, and Australians, and I've lived in Australia many, many times, and, and uh-huh. I, you know, I did return to New Zealand voluntarily. I wasn't... Um, <laughs> okay, not uh, involuntary. You weren't uh, deported. I wasn't deported. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a 501. Um, right. But, but the fact is we... Both countries love to innovate. That's true. But innovation doesn't come from a new idea. Innovation comes from taking things that have worked and trying to do them better. Yeah. So yeah. In, in the work that you're doing, I mean, where, where do you see it going? What, so, so obviously there was, the, there, was this, there was this thing that inspired you to commit uh-huh. this crazy amount of time to produce a podcast. And it's not easy, is it, really? It's not easy, no, no, definitely not, with a two-year-old and a husband jet-setting around and, you know, life and work and all the rest of it. No, most definitely. Absolutely. And, of course, consistency is important because when you start this journey. Yeah. And structure and all the rest of it, yeah. Absolutely. It has to be the same. Yeah, that's what people want because if they connect in, that's the stuff that they love. So hopefully. <laughs> well, look, I, I think once again, um, like any of the things, if 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 you can create touch points for people, if you can yeah. uh, make some form of alignment, uh, uh, I think you you mentioned the word curiosity uh, curiosity cat in one of your um yeah curious cat I'm curious, curious cat I remembered. Um, I agree. Curiosity is something that we all have in us. And yep. if someone can hear something on your show that uh-huh. connects that curiosity, they will become a listener. Yeah, that's true. Even if it's just that that one time should strike up enough to continue to listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree. So, so don't don't have that fear of of being a one show pony as we say. Because, um, <laughs> it's, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's all part of it. So what type of what type of themes are you trying to explore on the, on the show? So we talked we talked about the inspiration. It's about connecting to those yep. those people. Uh, are uh-huh. there some sort of themes that that really interest you that that are close to your your heart? Yeah, it's a lot around the conversations and the practicality things that right. leaders would deal with on a day to day basis. Um, so it's you know how to have robust conversations. It's how to you know show empathy, have trust create that curiosity and that um you know team environment where everyone does feel psychologically safe so it's all those things around those frontline kind of relationships that need to be built before you can get to the point of having a safe workforce right and i always find it interesting that um a lot of times we keep trying to tell leaders how to act or how to behave and and Uh i sort of sometimes wonder whether we've set up the civic expectation or what I see quite often is that when leaders are being, uh, are, are being asked to listen or to actively listen, that yeah. they feel that through that process of listening, that they then have to actually act on it. They have to do something yeah. as a result of it. 
It de- I think it depends on what's being spoken about. Unfortunately, I've been on the other side of bringing issues to leaders that have been really safety critical, as in breaches of legislation or mm-hmm. someone being mistreated, and that action hasn't been there. Um, so part of the, the process has been to make sure that I'm empowering those people to create, you know, like that ability to be able to take it further. Um, yeah. But I also think that a leader needs to understand when they should act mm-hmm. and when perhaps, you know, you, you may not have the skill set, you may not have that capability and refer it on to someone else um, who can. I can give you a very prime example. So my husband actually um, was quite uh, prominent as a leader um, in a railway organisation here in Australia and was dealing with a fatality situation, um, what a fatality and serious injury uh, collision had occurred. And um, he actually had the operators of the plant give him a call. And uh, my husband is not the most emotionally intelligent person, as in if he was on the Myers-Briggs scale, he, he is 100% thinking and zero feeling. And we work well because I'm 100% feeling. But he had um, the phone on speaker and the gentleman that was involved in the fatality called through. And this was the first fatality he'd dealt with in the situation. Mm-hmm. So the other gentleman that was operating the plant with him had dealt with multiple fatalities. So he was in a different kind of situation and background. But the gentleman that called called and was asking for some time off work, you know, direct report to my husband. And my husband's very first response was, please make sure you get a medical certificate. Wow, I can It wasn't. Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, how are you feeling? Take as much time as you require. It wasn't any of those emotional things that you would expect from a leader. Um, And then I told him, obviously, get off the phone. (laughs) You're not setting yourself up for success. I was like, get off the phone, give them the eat. Like I talked him through what had to happen. But I think leaders need to recognize you cannot be everything to everyone. And there's a time and a place. And you need to understand what your skill set is. And if you know that, you're grumpy in certain situations or you don't have that emotional connection with people, recognize it. And when you are faced with that kind of situation, bow out mm-hmm. and, and, you know, refer through to the, the proper service, which he did afterwards, but it's still in that immediate situation. And even to this day, like he still doesn't see that that wasn't the correct response because his brain is geared to be sure. very clinical, very straight to the point. You know, like that's your personality type. That, and, you know, it's fantastic and it's, you know, very, very strict, like strict and, you know, death-defying situations. He won't emotionally connect to seeing something gory on, you know, and what he sees. But when you're dealing with people, that emotional stuff does need to be there in some circumstances. So for me, a leader should know when to act and when yeah. to bow out of that situation, most definitely. Yeah. And I suppose in the world that we live in, we call it hell how people respond matters. And it is. It's exactly how people respond. And you know what? That very first initial reaction, whether you mean to or not, um, sets the scene for everything from that point onwards. Okay, it, it, you, it, you'll it lose does. respect. All, all that stuff comes from it. So, I, yeah. I, I remember my colleague, Glynis, was telling me that, that one of her early jobs was in training doctors around empathy. Oh yeah, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, so so there are those that obviously were empathetic by their nature, or in this case, you know, <laughs> probably nature, yeah. not nurture, but by by nature. And then yeah. and then there were those that basically had to, I suppose, show empathy. Yeah, and yeah. A, it's an, a, that's a, an interesting space. <laughs> it is, it is. But I mean, we, and the thing is, I think we ask a lot of 
people as well because they are facing all these different challenging type situations. Correct. And, and sadly, the more um, I mean, my my you know twenty years in safety, I have specialised in what I call human misery and fatalities. <laughs> and I was attending a fatal yesterday. And, yeah. Um. At, at the end of the day, you know. I look at it that I'm I'm there to um, support people. That it is purely a process. It is it is sadly a process, yeah. but I'm yeah. there to support people, and that people have different needs at different times. Yeah, correct. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I always talk to people. You know, there are three things that happen in parallel. One is we're dealing with a regulatory inquiry. Yeah, that's always so, fun. Yep. Two, we're trying to get business back to normal. Uh-huh. And the third, the third one is we're trying to restore the people's faith and what yeah. they thought was safe one minute yeah. will still be safe tomorrow. Uh-huh. And those three things don't actually align up with themselves very well. They don't line up at all. No, no not at all. So yeah. you've really got to have, I think for me, it's, 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 it's what I've had to create over time and it's an art form, it's not a skill, it's an art form, is to think yeah. how those three things track at that time. And it's yeah. difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult. And my wife probably says I'm not the most empathetic person, but that's okay. <laughs> I will fake it until I make it. So that's Yeah, that's something I would agree with as well to everyone. Yeah, if you can fake it, it's better yeah. to fake it then not at all, like not share it or not. <laughs> yeah, but also there's, yeah, not, not, there's, the other, there's the other side of it where you can tell that, that they're saying the words and they have not, it does not mean to them. Oh, that's true. You know? Yeah, that's true. I, like, yeah. you know, saying someone, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, you uh, yeah. Well, my you don't know who they were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, so I don't know that's what always... sorry means because you're yeah. actually not sorry because you don't know them. There's no connection. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's nothing worse when, you know, you're at a funeral or at an event, an incident or something, like that, and people are saying that kind of thing as well. It almost feels inhumane to say sorry for your loss because of that lack of connection. And, yeah, it's an interesting space. It's a tough one. <laughs> and, and there's no book written yeah. No one's written a book. No, well, what do you say? Like, you almost feel sorry that they, you know, like you feel, I don't know, not sorry but you're like you feel that there's something that's happened that you know shouldn't have but you don't actually have an emotional connection to the person that passed away so you're, you're wanting to show that you care that you you know have some thought towards the situation but the words to say it are what like what are they it's 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 very tricky i mean what i try and do is i try and understand their current emotional state and, and i look yeah at, and and i basically look at i look for four states that that may exist whether it be mm-hmm. sort of denial, guilt, blame, or anger, because those states, yeah. they'll, they'll be present at some point, and I'm just yeah. trying to really feel that person out um, and, yeah, and try and be as it. delicate as possible. But I guarantee yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll recall very little of what is said, but what, yeah. they, what they will recall is if it's polar opposite of how they feel. Yeah, of course, yeah. So it's a, re- it's a real balancing act. And, and that yeah, that's fine. I can imagine. Yeah, but hey, I mean, you know, your husband's great. It's great that you guys um, are at the polar opposite ends. <laughs> yeah, it, it works for those clinical decisions where you just need, yeah. like, 
get him to come in and clean up a depot, like a you know a big operational depot. I would, I'm sad because I'm like, but you know, so and so's wife has got cancer and she's dying, and my husband's like, no, he didn't turn up to work on time. He doesn't perform. He doesn't do this. Done. You're like, oh, but what about? Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's very straight down the line. So good to have all types of personality. We need it in the world. Oh, hey, um, uh, you know, diversity is normal. Uh, yeah. I, I talk about, um, you know, people talk about, you know, human failure. My view is embrace it. Like I you know, agree. My, my daughter who's, who's 16 and completely feral, uh, my <laughs> risk management strategy is purely based on consequence, not likelihood of her being feral. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Because forget likelihood, just focus on consequence. <laughs> Your matrix goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, forget the matrix. It's a flat line. <laughs> not about the colour. It's not about the colour. And and if she says to me, you know, you know, that Dad, you, you're not doing a great job as a as a father. My response will be, yes, I I agree, but I'm consistent. Consistently <laughs> bad. I'm co- absolutely. <laughs> So yeah, well, always... my two-year-old can't tell me yet, so we're all good. <laughs> well, I'll say to her that um, you don't have to be bad to, to do better. Well, that's true. If you're at the bottom, at least you've got somewhere to go from. Absolutely. Whereas if you're at the top, Ab- it's a long way to get to the bottom, isn't it, when you fall? <laughs> yeah, well, my bar is so low, it's a trip hazard. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so I can only go in one direction. There's, a, there's only one. Yeah. But no, she's 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 Apparently. And she's fine. From a health and safety perspective, it is interesting being that's for sure. <laughs> oh, look, you, there's, um, you know, w- once again, uh, I, I try to provide structure. You provide discipline. You, know, you provide all those frameworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I sat here and said, could I write a JSA or an SOP about how the morning's going to go or the <laughs> evening's going to go, <laughs> I would be sadly disappointed. Yeah, no, I completely understand. <laughs> so I, I use a I use a different approach, which is I, I I have a system where I've got the barriers on the left and the right side, and the chaos happens mm-hmm. in between. Oh, perfect! So as long as so as long as we're not going to go off the rails, I'm good. Yeah, but I'm You're just good. more relaxed okay. about the chaos that happens in between. Okay, that's a good strategy. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, well, it's all fun because um, our priorities and her priorities are different. I'd hope so. At yeah. 16. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, 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 our want of um, funding her lifestyle by her doing chores yeah. is not seen through the same sets of eyes. Of course. It'd be very yeah. different. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the themes that you're going to try and focus on your podcast coming up? What are, what are some of the exciting things you're trying to do? Um, so funnily enough, empathy is one of them. Wow, there we go. Um, and yeah, yeah. So uh, probably the next episode will be around empathy. That's what I'm working on. Um, and there's a lot happening in that psychosocial risk and mm-hmm. you know mental health space at the moment. Um, so a lot of the special guests I've had on um, are around that space. Um, just today, I was talking to a gentleman that owns his own business and actually um, suffered and had been diagnosed with um, clinical burnout which is, you know, a topic I'm not, you know, like fully across, but having a man who worked for 10 years, like 14-hour days to get to the point where, you know, potentially you're talking millions of dollars through his business and then to crash, you know, like personally if his health crashed and he, ha- he had a mental breakdown and he like, had a nervous breakdown as well. So, 
you know, we always talk about what sacrifices have to be made. We, you know, we, we think about money and we think about work, but sometimes we don't tie all those things into what else um, suffers and what do you have to sacrifice for some of those decisions. So I feel there's a lot to be recognised around that. And the one thing the podcast is doing as well is creating that community with people reaching out to each other um, and even just myself, like, you know, talking to different people in different areas and understanding, well, what do you want to talk about? So it, when someone interacts with me, I'll send them a private message and pretty much 80% to 90% of my topics are derived from people directly messaging me, you know, with an issue or something and me asking them, well, what would you like to talk about? So it's not just Georgina's agenda. This is actually, you know, the listeners and what they want to hear about and what could help them, you know, what could they take back to their workplace? So that's been the positive thing for me. So yeah, definitely the mental health um, side of things, um, those robust conversations, which nobody likes to have, but they need to occur, um, as well as yeah, empathy and creating that trust relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, I think once again, mental health is not a new risk. It's just a, a risk no. that's getting much more focused than it did before. Yeah, and I and, guess because the, like it's hard for people to understand whilst the act doesn't specifically say like you know psychosocial risk. It doesn't mean it's never been there. It's just traditionally we've never thought of it as part of, you know, the Work Health and Safety Act or as part of legislation. But it is. It's any risk, regardless of whether it's physical, you know, emotional, should have been captured in your risk assessment. It's, you know, the fatigue, that's not something you physically see all the time. That should have been captured. Uh, I, I, th- I think I mentioned earlier, Deming's work around his profound knowledge stuff, he, he talked about how workers see themselves in their own space. Um, has yeah. a direct impact on quality. And this was in the yeah. 1980s. That's right. It's, these are not new things. That's the no. problem. It's, you know, it's been around for years. It's just we've not moved further along the yes. journey of what we needed to. That's what it is. It's, yeah. And I think one of our challenges that um, e- even if I, if I look at safety through the risk lens, you know, we, we, we fixate a lot around acute harm, the physical harm. And mm-hmm. put a lot yeah. of emphasis around, you know, prevention. You know, there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about the fact that we don't do um, chronic harm very well, so harm to health. We do that yeah. poorly. And then, mm-hmm. we, then we get to this psychosocial harm. It's like the what the? And you know what? It's still so prevalent, um, you know, in the mining construction kind of spaces as well, where physical injury is actually tied to mental health injuries. And when you come back from being out of work, you know, for quite some period of time, we forget that team dynamics change. We forget that, you know, you're not part of the work crew anymore and they've all moved on and things have changed and maybe people have left or joined and you're not in the in crowd anymore. And the impact that that has, I've seen it turn into further workers' compensation claims because oh. we haven't actually, you know, like addressed it properly and we haven't thought about all the risks associated with you know, a you know, person, you know, returning to work and how that impacts the entire team, not just the person returning to work. Yeah. Look, even people on maternity leave. The fact oh, is exactly. you, you get disconnected. Yeah. And if that yeah. workplace has been a, a a key element of you and how you connect, yeah. um yeah. there is trauma as there a result is. of that. Yeah. It's no yeah, different that's right. um I see it at the other end and some of the work I have to do at, at, at the, what I call the bad end of town, the misery end of town, where uh-huh. um, how people undertake investigations re-traumatise people. 
Yeah, that's a whole other space, friends. Like, why, why do we do that? And, yeah. And that's how I started yeah. my learning teams journey with Todd Conklin many, many years ago. Yeah. Was the yeah. fact that I was, I always saw this notion of um, managing an event, not investigating, but managing an event as one mm-hmm. that had to be restorative. And mm-hmm. what, what could we do? What could we do? that didn't put the person back into that focus. So whether they yeah. witnessed the event or were, you know, the victim of the event, doesn't really matter what they were. How do we, how do uh-huh. we do that? How, how do we create them that, that space that allows them to reason with what has happened? Yeah. Be able to share their story of that but yeah. in a way that they feel comfortable when they want to, not when we want to. Yeah. And that it's is a why, very different. Yeah, and that's why I've been so passionate about learning teams because learning yeah. teams, it takes the worker away from being the focus. Mm-hmm. So, so, so typically yeah. when we investigate, we, place, we put the, the person in the center and mm-hmm. we ask the questions, how did you fail the system? Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't yeah. matter what, what way you say it, that's what you're doing. So, so yeah. the fact that we're holding up our policies or procedures or our JSAs, you know, as the truth, yeah. as the one way, mm-hmm. the gospel, yeah. you yeah. place the person in the center. So when we think about a learning team, we put the system in the center. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really interesting that when we think about a learning team, we start the conversation by getting that group to share with us what did normal everyday work look like. Yeah. We don't ask what happened. Okay, that's not, we ask them what did normal work look like. And yeah. what we find is that as that group gains that comfort, which we're now calling psychological safety, it used to mm-hmm. be called comfort. Yeah. Okay. That that group will naturally lead into the event when they are ready. Yeah. And that could take multiple, you know, sessions. It might not happen in that first go. Oh, you'll be you'll be really surprised. Um, I am constantly surprised at at how quickly it happens when they want it to happen. Um, I. Mm-hmm. I, I I could never think of any tragic event that I had to do where the group thanked me. Okay. In the learning team, that's all we hear. Yeah. They thank us. They thank it's us. It's almost like a therapy session, Brent. You know, uh, like allowing people to get there organically is really letting them, you know, get what's on their mind, off their mind, and then organically getting to the part that really matters. Yes. You still you're still getting the result is still the same. You've just taken a more humanistic approach to it and allowing them to get there naturally without forcing them to run through a heap of questions that will, you know, be quite rigid and strict in approach. Yeah, because the the, the we, we call it the, the what and the why is evident by the facts. <laughs> okay. You don't yeah. need to ask people what happened. Okay. You know, we, he lost his, he lost, that already. He lost his arm. Okay. <laughs> we, we we know that. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, we, we want people to explore explore with us the how. Yeah. 
So, you know, Which you're only going to get from those conversations. Absolutely. Not, not all the other, and, and I think there's a real, um, look, I, I understand where the notion came from and, and it is one of a yep. regulatory notion and, you know, regulatory frameworks, they're built on blame and retribution. That is our legal justice mm-hmm. system. Okay. And, yep. and I'm saying let that happen, but we don't yep. have to be mini regulators. Yeah, this is true. When it, when it goes wrong. And yep. so I, I could say to your husband that we we don't need to follow a physical linear process to get to where we need to get, but we have a framework where the facilitator will guide the people through that framework. Yeah, but we're not. Well, saying, that's still a framework. That's not completely unstructured, loose. You know, like ten no, we have, we have people a beginning, sitting in a room having a chat. Yeah. yeah, we have a beginning. We have an end. But what happens in the middle is completely... Okay, I take it back. That is unstructured. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we have, we have a beginning. We know what we're here for. We have an end, yeah, yeah. which is about what, what can we learn from this. Yeah. But the yeah. bit in between... Could go like anywhere. This, it's a bit like this podcast. You know, <laughs> Very true. We could go anywhere. And, and I think that's, that's the whole point. And, and that creates, I suppose, that comfort for people which is what they're after because um i I think if i think about the pandemic the pandemic is a classic example of how people don't cope with uncertainty yeah no that that is very true and i i remember doing you know many many investigations yeah yeah you know like doing and i know there are major organizations that have changed their uh, wording around investigation to learning events and you know um i I had some questions around all that we do learning teams now so rather than an investigator what am i called and i was like you really have to yeah you know like you have to to have have a think about that like so you're not an investigator now like i was like uh what are you doing you know like are you facilitating like you know you have a think about what, what are you actually doing but um, through investigations, you know, like you get trained in the different processes and, and the different interviewing techniques. And just the word interview makes <sighs> you feel like you're a policeman. I know. And I hated, you know, when you walk into, you know, you're on a blind site or any site for that matter, and you walk into an office and you've got the, the injured worker or someone coming because they've been told by their manager, hey, you got to go see Georgina because she's safety and she's going to write a you know, an incident or a witness statement on what you're about to say. And then you get the poor person come in and they're all, you know, shaky and and you've got to try and put them at ease Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, an organic type situation where you're just having conversation and you're no different to me. When you set me up to be the policeman or when you set me up to be called an investigator or someone that's taking notes on you, it really sounds like you're setting yourself up for failure almost. It's not. You, it, yeah, you've, you've done it where I'm versus you as opposed to I work for the company as well. I'm no different to you. We're in no different situation here. It's just I choose and I want to know further information to hopefully prevent a reoccurrence. Like, I've even oh. heard we're not meant to say reoccurrence anymore. Like, it's, oh, yeah, really? It's very different. Okay. Yeah, we don't, want to, we, we don't want to say that through an investigation slash event learning session that we don't want to prevent recurrence. Apparently it's been quite a used as a throwaway line on, on the bottom of investigation reports for quite a, a very long period of time. Um, so we're all about finding out what happened. Is, is that I thought, oh, what about the rest of it? 
<laughs> wow. I mean, the, the one I hate is this constant desire to create corrective actions. Oh, <laughs> and you know what? The actions that are put on corrective actions yeah. are not corrective. They're not no. preventative either. No, toolbox no. Talk, if I see another toolbox yeah. talk the topic, I will lose my stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, the, or, or, or I normally I always start with it. It's all about name, blame, shame, and retrain. That, that's that's why yeah. I call corrective action. I, I was doing a learning team just just recently. Once again, a very you know unfortunate event. I like we, we call them life changing events now. By the way, life changing events. Oh, fatalities are life changing, or not fatality level, just high potential. Yeah, if you lose your arm, lose your head, you know. Oh, okay. It's, it's all life changing. It's all life changing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right. life changing events because it sounds nicer. Sounds but... like you're having a midlife crisis though. Cause yeah. That's also yeah. Life- <laughs> yeah, they said, and they said, but he died. Yeah, that's that is life changing. Oh, life changing. Every life changing. Okay. And um, <laughs> um, the the person had their had their iCam report on the table, and it was I, I could tell it was a good iCam report because it was about a hundred pages. Oh. And I could tell that a lot of effort had been put in, and um. we, we, we've been working on a a, a concept called an A three storyboard. Okay. Which is, um, how do we tell the story of the event on a single mm-hmm. sheet of paper that anyone can pick up that sheet of paper, uh, read that story and get a learning from it and be able to oh. share that learning with others. This is quite, it's quite okay. fascinating, isn't it? And, and we yeah. set ourselves this concept that had to be on a single sheet of paper. A3. An A3, single sheet of paper. Yep. Okay. Because that's not huge. It's a big piece of paper, but it's not like you're saying half a whiteboard. No. And and we've been doing this now for probably a good eight, nine months. And mm-hmm. people love it. Oh, so and, you've actually got the pro oh, yes. forma done. You, oh, you know, no, no, we, we, we've been, so, so once again, we've, we've been doing lots of uh, micro-experimenting in real-life situations. <laughs> okay, that's good. And it's been successful. Because because it is it is a storyboard, if that makes sense. It has, it yeah, is yeah, of course. And like all yeah. storyboards, what was really interesting is there had to be an outcome. Okay. So, so what we talk about is we talk about, you know, we, we want to describe, you know, um, you know, we, we, we get in the storyboard, we're describing, you know, work is imagined versus work is done. So we want to make sure that those mm-hmm. things are very visible. Um, and, and we want to do some um, what we call um, uh, efficacy of controls. So, so we want to know, what were people relying on at that time? Yeah, in that situational mm-hmm. moment, what were they relying on? Okay. Okay. Not about what rules weren't being followed, but what were they relying on? Because yeah. what they rely on is what they thought mattered. We we call it STRM stuff that really matters. So what yeah. what were they relying on? Yeah. But then what we do is we talk to them about um, what were the learnings from this event, and that there are two types of learnings. There are learnings that workers get from the event, mm-hmm. and there are then other learnings that the organisation got from the event. And those yep. learnings are very, very different. Uh, yep, I would agree with you. Yes, they should be. And it is only organisational learnings that then can potentially lead to an improvement. Yeah. Not a corrective action, an improvement. And an improvement yeah. and can only be yeah. a system element. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is true. And I think, unfortunately, with our traditional approaches to events and incidents and things that occurred these days, um, when you when you step into the ICAM focus or essential factors or whatever methodology you're using, yeah. the lingo is definitely not around organisational learning. Um, it, sometimes it is, depending on the facilitator and the maturity and their safety background, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like sometimes it is, don't get me wrong. Um, but <laughs> nine times out of 10, it's around, you know, what went wrong, what procedures, identified it, put yeah. a corrective action in place and then put that stamp on that report so it goes to the regulator and good to go. And then it gets filed. The corrective actions that you put in as corrective actions weren't effective in the first instance, but they never get followed up on. They never get oh, implemented. No. Yeah. yeah, you know, like they just become this tick box exercise. I've, I've always tried to ensure, even though I have been using the methodologies, I'm enrolled on a learning teams course, I think it's November, um, but I've always tried to ensure that the, the learning there is the organisational standpoint. It, it doesn't you know, they can blame the person 100% of the time. Um, and in my most recent podcast, you know, I talked about an incident that I dealt with that on site where a PM made a really poor decision and purchased alternators that were, you know, Chinese kind of um, area. They mm-hmm. were low level, didn't operate accordingly, and they caught fire, actually, mm-hmm. while going through a car wash. And two light vehicle fitters were actually um, reprimanded and they were let go because wow. the PM didn't want to take that accountability and recognise. So they said, on the incident that rags had been left in the engine compartment and then there was a chemical reaction as the guys drove their vehicle through um, the light vehicle wash bay that reacted and they smoldered and caught fire. Because obviously if you say fire, it's, you know, reportable. If you say smoldering, not reportable. Um, So there was this whole thing. But the accountability wasn't there. And I argued to have my name taken off anything to do with that particular incident. And my argument was around the whole organisational learning. Your, your PM's not taking accountability and you're not allowing an effective way of getting to, I guess, the reasons for the event occurring in the instance. We're, yep. we're not going to go down that line. So where is that organisational learning? It's not there at any level within the organisation from a people perspective or from the actual event perspective. So what's yes. the point? Because um, because uh, there's no relevance of root cause in organisational learning because learning is learning. That's right. And there's no such thing as a number of learnings. There's no such thing as a good learning or a bad learning. That's called a learning. No, that's right. And, you know, maybe your list is 27 things long and maybe there are actions that need to be taken from those 27 things, but you just can't leave it there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what we talk about is that if that learning leads to an improvement and part of the work that we're doing at the moment is that what we find is that Worker learning actually leads to self improvement amongst the team. Yep. Okay. Because yep, because, definitely. because they connect the two things together, which is which is great. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to um, organisational learning, if there is an improvement, then we need to record what that is, and we need to give we need to give some rigor around that because of yep. something called organisational amnesia. That occurs. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. <laughs> I've definitely seen witnessed it firsthand. <laughs> yep. And then yep. and then there needs to be an assurance component around the effectiveness of that. Because if that yep. if that thing didn't lead to what was hoped, then you either need mm-hmm. to improve it or remove it. That's right. So it's a real binary. But don't allow yeah. it to remain because that creates waste. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and potentially something that's just a tick box exercise for the sake of ticking a box as opposed well, to... Well, it, actually, it can, lead to, can lead to an event. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the yeah. other end of the scale. Yeah, it? It, yeah. It, can lead, it can lead to an event. Uh, but, and then yeah. more importantly, the last part of the storyboard that we've, that we've been working on is then how was this shared? Yeah. Now that, Another that, key problem. <laughs> absolutely. And once again, hence the notion of organisational amnesia. Because yeah. when something happens and the organisation says, well, first time ever, we yeah. say, no, nah, it's, it's the 14th time. Yeah. Yeah. How does, how, how does that get think, lost? How does it happen? Yeah. Yeah. And the interdepartmental um, kind of communication as well sometimes yep. fails in that regard as well because one department doesn't see it relevant to being in another department and then you know you might get an event where everyone is actually together in a room and talking about you know events that have occurred and one person will say oh i didn't realize we even had that like three months ago we had one very similar absolutely but, but the problem why the problem that uh, the, the reason why how we currently report stuff people don't find relevant in a different part of the business is because it lacks context it lacks narrative, yeah. and yeah. that's the reason of a storyboard. The storyboard yeah. tells the story. Uh -huh. And as people read through the story, they connect. Because here's the funny thing, people connect to stories, they don't connect to numbers. Yeah, well, that's been proven. Okay. <laughs> Storytelling is a very useful tool. Absolutely, and, and the problem is corrective actions are just seen as a list of things. Yeah. And normally they're there to name, blame, shame, <laughs> and and yeah. retrain. And sadly, training has now become a punishment tool, yeah. rather than a learning opportunity. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.
Welcome to Safety Differently Merchandise, the premium sponsor for the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Our curated lines of inspirational clothing, headwear, cups, stationery and more, at Safety Differently Merchandise, is befitting of your Safety Differently journey. I am Arthur Taylor, Chief Designer. I have spent decades on Savile Row, and honored to bring my talents, for all fine purveyors and devotees of. Hop. Learning Teams. Safety Differently. Safety 2. And the New View. Please visit the store, and purchase our fine goods at safetydifferentlymerch.com. And now, back to the show.